0: Hello. Hey, Jim.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: What's up with you?
1: Oh, just sitting around at the Capitol, waiting for the end of the shutdown.
0: <laughs> Jim Newell covers Washington for Slate. He joined me from a phone booth in the Senate Press Gallery to talk all things shutdown.
1: We're at 33 days. Is that—I stopped counting. Um, <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the 30s, I know we are.
0: I mean, in the last five weeks, how many bills have passed in Congress— trying to reopen the government
1: in the house they're voting this this week on the 10th and 11th
0: 10th and 11th yeah the speaker of the house nancy pelosi she's been especially busy yesterday she wrote a note to the white house postponing the state of the union then her office drafted yet another budget proposal aimed at opening up the government it offers more money for border security but not a wall over in the senate on the other hand
1: In the Senate, they are, well, most of them currently aren't even here. Um, This week, it's been that they've been on uh, 24-hour notice of if they're going to vote on anything. Some have been here, some have not been, but they've sort of just been waiting for uh, the bad signal that they're going to be vote scheduled.
0: And today's the day.
1: And today is the day, finally. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Only took five weeks.
0: Five weeks. That is how long the federal government has been partially shut down. 800,000 federal workers are either furloughed or working without pay. Most can't collect unemployment because, technically, they are employed. The report that really got me this week was in the Albuquerque Journal, about a 10-year-old girl who broke her wrist sledding but hid the injury from her parents. Her father works for Homeland Security, had warned her that the government shutdown meant they didn't have money to spare. Today's the first chance Congress has to turn this mess around. The Senate's going to be voting on two different bills to reopen the government. Not many people have much hope that either are going to pass. But Jim Newell is here to explain why we should pay attention to this moment anyway. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. Okay, so today we're seeing this first legislation that could end the shutdown moving forward in the Senate. But I want to talk about like how we got here. At the end of last week, the White House puts out this announcement that we're going to talk about some kind of compromise. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So with uh, talks at a total standstill uh, around this time last week, the White House came out and said that we're going to put a plan on the table uh, in a speech on Saturday. It was something that Jared Kushner and Mitch McConnell had been working on. By incorporating
0: the priorities of rank-and-file Democrats in our plan, we
1: hope they will offer their enthusiastic support. And I think many will. It was uh, sort of temporary protections for DACA recipients, dreamers, as well as uh, beneficiaries of temporary protected status. Three-year extension of that uh, in exchange for Trump getting his full $5.7 billion wall request. That was at least how it was framed initially.
0: Once Jim dug into the actual text of the bill, though, the new protections, they looked really narrow. There were restrictions on how migrants could apply for asylum. That could block thousands from entering the country. It hiked the fees for applying for DACA protections, and it would make a smaller pool of people eligible, which is all fine if you've still got control of both houses of Congress, but not if you're negotiating with House Democrats or House Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
1: Yeah, it was just a mess. It almost looked like Republicans put so many poison pills in there to ensure that it wouldn't get any Democratic votes so that they could say Democrats are being intransigent on this nice compromise we put together. I mean, that, that's how cynical it seemed, you know, the level of changes. It was not something designed to get, you know, 75 or 80 votes.
0: You know, I was really struck when the president made his speech on Saturday announcing this idea. He said he'd met with Democrats or his team had met with Democrats and right. yeah. made their voices part of that. Is that true?
1: no. I mean, that's he had one meeting with Democrats last week. He had a meeting with some centrist House Democrats and their message to him was first reopen the government and then we can talk. So, you know, I I think that was probably a very generous reading on his part of what Democrats would be willing to uh, go for.
0: And Democrats, they reacted like immediately, even if it's possible to React before immediately. I feel like they reacted yeah. right, even before his speech. They said they rejected it.
1: Yeah, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, yeah, before when she saw what the offer was going to be, rejected it, called it a non-starter. Which, by the way, um, did not go over well with some centrist House Democrats. They at least thought maybe she could have uh, waited for him to give the speech and then call it a non-starter.
0: And so you're putting your finger on something, which is at the same time that clearly President Trump is feeling some pressure to do something Democrats are beginning to feel that pressure too. like a few Democrats wrote a letter to Nancy
1: Pelosi, right? Yeah, some some Democrats, you know, in this new class, there are a lot of Democrats who took over districts that Republicans have held for decades that are just, you know, turning somewhat blue, but are still very swingy districts. And so uh, Elaine Luria, who's from Virginia, a new Democratic member, she is organizing a letter and collecting signatures still uh Essentially, asking Nancy Pelosi to uh, hold a vote on Trump's wall after Trump reopens the government, so you know this isn't really that big of an ask i I don't know if Pelosi what her thoughts are on it yet, but you know you could if Trump reopened the government and then they just held a show vote where they either reject the wall request or they amend it to make it whatever Democrats want. you know that's not really asking. Pelosi to concede too much, but I do think it's important to note that some Democrats are getting a little bit restless and sort of want to get this machinery going, where we're at least eliminating options so we can find what is the compromise that's going to uh, reopen the government.
0: And I guess when I heard about the vote today, at first I was confused because in the early reporting was like Mitch McConnell and chuck schumer have come to a compromise we're going to have a vote and i was like oh wow maybe people have talked to each other and like there's a compromise going on but then it turns out that compromise is two different bills that have nothing to do with each other right
1: yeah it's just a uh, a procedural compromise it's not actually a deal being cut it is one vote first on trump's proposal which democrats aren't going to go for and then a vote on one of the bills that the House passed that would just reopen government uh, stopgap bill until February 8th. So the big question once that deal was announced was, okay, is this Trump and Republicans caving here? Like, are they going to support this February 8th compromise? You know, this this bill that they're finally bringing up, or are they, you know, just going to reject it too because it needs 60 votes? And it's looking a lot more like they're going to reject it too.
0: So you have one bill that the Democrats really don't like, one bill that the Republicans really don't like.
1: Well, the Republicans may like it, but Trump doesn't like it, so they can't like it, you know? Well, says who? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, says uh, their own fear of, you know, having Trump go after them if they they defy him. I expect the White House and I expect McConnell to uh, urge most Republicans not to vote for this. Huh. So—
0: do you expect that whatever happens on the floor of the Senate tomorrow, it's like we should pop some popcorn and settle in and like watch?
1: <laughs> I don't I don't think you should ever pop popcorn and watch the Senate um, and expect too many fireworks. But we'll have to see, you know, as the day goes on, where, say, Susan Collins is, where Cory Gardner from Colorado, who has a tough race coming up, is where some of the other senators who are in uh either vulnerable or, in, a, you know, representing more moderate states, if they're willing to go for this, if they're also, those vulnerable ones, not going to go for this, then it has no chance. And then we will, where will we be? I don't know. We will be stuck as we've been stuck forever. So,
0: Well, I mean, you've said, like, there's very little chance of either of these bills passing. So why hold the vote at all?
1: Well, I, I think Mitch McConnell... You know, I think the criticism that he's not been doing anything, has been refusing to take any votes, I think there was a little bit, I think that got to him a little bit, and he wants to put something on the floor. You know, the reason that President Trump came up with this whole proposal in the first place was Mitch McConnell reached out to him and said, we need to get something on the floor to vote, at least, you know, look like we're acting and that, you know, maybe that puts a little bit more focus on Pelosi, that she's not doing enough to compromise. So, I mean, that's why they were putting Trump's bill on the floor. And then, you know, Democrats says, OK, if you don't want us to jam, you know, shut the Senate down, extend this for days and days, then, you know, we'd like a vote, too. So it's mostly a timing thing. Is why they're putting the second vote on the floor.
0: If both are rejected, does it kind of force people back to the table? Or do we just honestly not know because everything is so unprecedented at this point?
1: We, we honestly don't know. I mean, I do think it's important that Some of the pressures that have just been sitting around are are starting to show themselves. You know, it's important that McConnell was feeling a little uncomfortable in his position of not putting anything on the floor. It's important that some House Democrats are getting a little anxious with Pelosi's position that she won't negotiate. And we're starting to see a little action. And we're going to, you know, even if we see things rejected, that can be useful in finding well, okay, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This sounds very. Pathetic what I'm describing, you know, that this is progress. <laughs> them, them rejecting bills is progress. But it is. I mean, considering last year it was just, you know, Trump canceling Nancy Pelosi's flights and stuff. That was like where we were. So,
0: so this feels like a level up.
1: It is a level up. There's actual legislative stuff happening rather than just, yeah, pranks and tricks and stuff like that.
0: OK, I want to take a moment to talk about the characters here. You talked a little bit about Mitch McConnell. He holds a lot of power here as the majority leader in the Senate. You said you think he's feeling a little bit of pressure to act. But I'm just wondering, why has he been feeling not so much pressure until now? Like, is it just that he's from a state where there aren't a lot of government workers, so he's not hearing from his constituents? Why is he able to hold himself at such a remove?
1: The reason he is holding himself at a remove in the first place and sort of going by, you know, what Trump wants and not passing anything that Trump won't sign, he does not want to get his caucus into a divisive fight with President Trump over how to reopen the government. And because they think that Trump will then put the blame on them to the Republican base for caving to Democrats. So that's not something you want to deal with. The reason he may be moving now is just that the shutdown is getting longer and longer. Uh, Republicans in polls are getting the blame for it. Republicans are defending um, seats in Colorado, Maine, Arizona, North Carolina, Iowa next year that they need to hold their majority. You know, not all these states have a ton of government workers, and that's probably why he was allowed to hold on as long as he has already. But we may be at the point where this is going to do real political damage if, you know, it goes on much longer and, you know, Senate Republicans need to step in.
0: Can you put me inside of his head a little bit? I mean, you're much closer (laughs) to him than I am. Are you
1: sure? Are you sure you want to go there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I asked. So,
1: well, I, I just think that's you know, he just prioritizes what's the worst case scenario. And for them, most of the shutdown, the worst case scenario has been getting into a fight with Trump, over the wall and caving on his behalf, you know, I don't think for a second that he thinks the shutdown was a good idea. Hmm. I think that's the way he prioritizes it. And once he chooses a path, he doesn't really veer from it. It takes a lot for him to get rattled.
0: It's so interesting because, you know, the Republicans for so long catered to their base and still do. But now it seems like the catering is out of fear, like... (laughs) <laughs> the student has become the master. But I mean, that's just me looking from the outside where it just seems like they're really controlled by a very consistent voting population.
1: Right. And I, I think in the in the Obama era, it was with the Tea Party and just the, the way they were very trigger happy with putting primaries on members. Um, you know, that's the way it was controlled. And now with Trump, I mean, all of that energy is manifest in him. So, uh, you know, he's seen as the one fighting for the wall, fighting for what the base wants. So if you go against him, a lot of voters will see that as directly going against the base by going against him. It's not a very healthy environment.
0: I mean, so much of these negotiations rely on personal relationships. Does he, does Mitch McConnell get along with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer?
1: Uh, I don't think he gets along with Nancy Pelosi, but I think he respects Nancy Pelosi and, you know, recognizes her as formidable. McConnell and Schumer, they're not like going out to dinner together, Uh, but I I think they have a decent working relationship, even if you see them trashing each other on the floor. Like, I I don't I think these are all professionals here and I think they all understand what the other is doing. So I I don't think they really let their personal feelings get in the way of it too much.
0: Okay, so if I'm getting ready to settle in for some C-SPAN today, what am I looking for? on the floor of the Senate? Like, who am I looking to sort of be lured over or peeled off? Like, wh- what should I watch for?
1: One, on the first vote on Trump's bill, I'd be curious to see, one, if it got any Democratic votes and also if it lost any Republican votes, because it really does have some things that would be upsetting to GOP moderates as well, some of the asylum changes. And then on the, um, the short-term bill to reopen the government, the House passed one. I would watch someone like Tom Tillis or Cory Gardner, just someone who, you know, is an interesting political territory in 2020 and see what they do. If Republicans get a significant number of defections on that, you know, even if it doesn't get them to 60, it's going to show sort of how deteriorating their position is and how they can't really hold out on this for too much longer.
0: You know, the last time we talked... It was a week or two ago, and you said you weren't really seeing, like, the impact of the shutdown when you were in Congress. I'm wondering if that's changed at all. I mean, you live in D.C. Are you beginning to see and feel the shutdown in any new ways?
1: I mean, you see, like, all these uh, restaurants and bars, you know, specials for furloughed workers and things like that. And, you know, (laughs) I— So my girlfriend and I were on a, a house search, and uh, a couple houses we were looking at had to go back on the market because the financing fell through because of the furloughs. So, you know, yeah, it's just everywhere in D.C.
0: No more food banks.
1: They in need banks, yes. no more food banks.
0: Furloughed workers gathered en masse outside of senators' offices yesterday. They hoisted up these styrofoam plates, meant to symbolize that they need to feed their families. They had messages on them, like jobs, not walls. Hostage, read another. If the shutdown doesn't end today, these workers aren't going to be getting paychecks tomorrow.
1: I do think that's related to, to why they're having these votes on Thursday. You know, because they, they, the next payday is Friday and they want to have something, you know, they don't just want to let that happen.
0: All right. Good luck in there, Jim.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Jim Newell covers Congress for slate with a smile on his face and a song in his heart. That's today's show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. We've had a ton of help this week from Daniel Hewitt. Leave us a rating and review us in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. Also, I have a little secret for you if you've made it this far. What Next has an Instagram account. We're still figuring the thing out, but go ahead and follow us there anyway. We're at What Next Pod. Talk to you Friday.